0: this is always the platform that God starts off with, what he demands. He demands that he be honored first and will not settle for second place. Now, you have to use wisdom here because some will abuse this good God first, and they're really up to no good. And they're really not using any brains. They're just wicked. But Elijah's challenge to the widow would call for her to employ faith in the midst of her desperate situation. And that's what stands out.
1: This is Cross Reference Radio with our pastor and teacher, Rick Gaston. Rick is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville, Pastor Rick is currently teaching through the book of 1 Kings. Please stay with us after today's message to hear more information about Cross Reference Radio, specifically how you can get a free copy of this teaching. And now here's Pastor Rick as he continues teaching his message called Days of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17.
0: The righteous have their assignment within the drought, the remnant. They have something to do besides just enduring the hardship. God does care about them, but he's got other things to do, and he has to use them as part of the process, and they're going to take some of the heat. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Which one of those are going to separate you from Christ? Good question. May none of them, because some have opted out because of those things. And Jesus talked about the seed that fell amongst the thorns, and the cares of this world choked out the word of God. In the lives of those people. He says before whom I stand. To stand for anything. Means you have to stand against something else. That is this life. You're going to stand for Christ. You're going to stand against the world. There's no merging of the two. A little leaven leavens the lump. In our thinking. And sometimes it's a lot of work. Trying to keep the leaven out. There shall not be dew nor rain these years. Except at my word. No reason to doubt God's word. Israel's famines, all of them, were a result of their idolatry, and that's made clear not only in Leviticus 26 which just makes it very clear the God is i'm going to the heavens are going to be like iron to you, like steel, you know you're not going to be able to reach me with prayer if you start praying to these idols. Of course, if they repented, verse two, hey, we got the verse two. I was going to name this days of Elijah part one. that still might happen anyway. <laughs> The word of Yahweh came to him saying, before we get to the saying, the point is, of course, God speaks to Elijah, but the New Testament then rings in on this and says, James chapter five, verse 70, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What if God can speak to him and he's got a fallen nature like mine, then God can speak to me. I'd rather dodge the whole drought thing, but (laughs) here we are. So it's a significant little verse. The word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, a man with a nature like mine. But I'm preoccupied with feeling better about life. Does, I mean, what would life, man has tried to give us a picture of uh, what they would like humanity to be. You know, for any of you Star Trek fans, Mr. Spock was the guy without feelings. And everybody wished they could be like him. But we're not. And so, you know, in this life, our feelings get in the way of so much stuff. And we have to learn how to overcome. In verse 3, he said, God's speaking to the prophet. After he delivers the message to the king, it's not going to rain. God says, uh, preach it and beat it. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide at the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. So he was to preach and run. Now, the next time the prophet flees, it's not because God told him to. It's because he was afraid And did not wait for the Lord. The Lord caught up with him. And when the Lord caught up, he sent an angel to catch up with him first. And when the angel got there, the angel said, (laughs) I had to catch up to you, man. You could run. Anyway, the judgment he pronounced, you're going to inconvenience him too. He's got to go hide out by a brook. Now, he's the kind of character he might not have minded too much. Like John the Baptist when this old locust eating thing. I mean, it's so gross. Some Bible commentators have tried to get John out of that. Well, they really weren't locusts. It was a honey, a pot. No, they were locusts. Uh, That's what he ate. Stop doing that. Anyway, the judgment he pronounced inconvenienced him too. And now he was in danger for his life. You know, again, you preach it and beat it, man, because he's going to get you if he doesn't. And uh, so he says, by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan, the exact... Location is unknown to us. It was unknown to Ahab, too. Or else he would have found him there. But uh, Elijah had had a place to flee to, which he did not know was a safe zone, a safe house, until God told him it was. And uh, he may have been at this point in his ministry too naive to understand that he needed to run for his life. So there is a time to run, and there's a time to stand. He still stands with God, but he's not going to be standing anywhere near Ahab. Uh, so again, a, likely a newcomer to a prophetic ministry on a national scale, on the, on the political field, and so God helps him out. Verse 4, And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded ravens to feed you there. Now these ravens are going to be carrying his food in their mouth. That's a gross. I wouldn't eat it. (laughs) Well, eventually I would. So God assures him that he is going to be protected and provided for. And again, how did he get in such a mess? By preaching the word of God. What God told him to say, we have it in print now. He was developing the part of the process of developing the print. And these birds delivering the food from who knows where. That's another problem. Do you know where that penny has been? I mean, gosh. Just the other day, last Thursday, I'm driving in. It's about 9 in the morning, a little before. And I see this scavenger, this turkey buzzard, is, I don't know what he's got, a squirrel or something. He's in my lane. He sees me coming. And he sees me coming, and he grabs the carcass, and he drags it onto the shoulder of the road, I mean, to be so smart and ugly at the same time is a blessing and a curse. Oh, golly. Anyway, this brook is going to run dry. And there's lessons there. These are what topical messages come from, these kind of parts of Scripture, because there's so much going on here. But here he is. Pallas has a contract out on his life because he dared to stand and speak God's word. Verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of Yahweh. For he went and stayed by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. Verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. So this is not a single miracle. This is what I was saying about the power this man was uh, experiencing God. This was a morning and day, a morning and day miracle. Every time those ravens showed up with meat and food, it was miraculous. I mean, you know, ravens are in the crow family, and they eat everything. They're scavengers, which is a more reason not to eat what they bring. They do the undertaker's work. The carry and disposal removes, I mean, the removes rotting flesh. It's such a help. As gross as it is, they don't do their job. Rotting flesh creates a big problem for human beings. The Jews were not to eat meat that was killed by an animal or died of natural causes because the blood was not properly ritualistically removed. And God did not wanting them getting a taste of that. And then it would work its way into their faith. And if this was a problem even in the New Testament. It comes up. But where did they get this? Well, you couldn't ask them. To, you couldn't say, "Well, where did you get this piece of meat? Has the blood been drained?" This was not the time for ritual. Likely, they stole it. If somebody put some meat out to dry out in the sun to make jerky. You know, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Who knows? Still, I mean, would you want to eat a piece of food that was in a bird's beak? <laughs> bread and meat here. in bottom of verse six, the Hebrew word for bread means food in general, and not just bread as we know it. Verse seven. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So in the midst of spiritually hostile people, here his brook of inspiration and God is taking care of him dries up. We all get a Kirith at some point in our life, someplace where God just sustains us. He can do it in so many ways. Your job, it could be your job. It could be a good friend in your life. At the time you need a good friend, when a friend counts. And then all of a sudden it dries up. Maybe the friend goes home to be with the Lord. Or moves away. Maybe the job ends. And that place of supply, the resources, they're gone. And you're left wondering, now what's going to happen to me? How will I be provided for? If my Kirith dries up, maybe God has a Zarephath to reassign me to so that I won't be fed by the ravens anymore, but I'll be feeding those in need. And that's what's going to happen with this prophet. God may give us access to a Zarephath if the brook goes dry. And it's interesting because God did not miraculously, you know, send him to, well, there's an underground spring and he'll have an endless amount of water. Well, God had other plans, and he causes all things to work together for the good, but he conveniently leaves in the fine print. It might hurt. (laughs) God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love him, but it might hurt. (laughs) Okay, it's true, and I don't like it because my feelings don't like it, but it is honorable under the circumstances we live in. He says, because there had been no rain... So God knew that there were others about to perish. And he is now, in his timing, sending the prophet to save them. Verse 8, then the word of Yahweh came to him, saying, again, before I read what God says to him, this is the direct word to the prophet. This was the office of the prophets, whereas the priests, they carried on the previously spoken word that was in print from Moses, the rites they carried that out, and so the priests would minister on behalf of the people up towards God, where the prophet would minister on behalf of the people, but from God to the people. so you you've got this ladder going two different directions, one for the priests and one for the prophets, and that is an overview of their office, verse nine. Arise, this is what God is telling him now. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Well, God is going to be sending him to a lot of places. And he seems not to move, again, with the one exception, until God instructs him. He's sent into Jezebel's territory, her home, her homeland, right under the nose of the wicked people that are importing lies from hell into Israel. And he would never have thought to do this. And God did, though, and God sends him here. And he brings into this land this power because Baal has no power to do anything about the drought because the widow's about to die. she That's what she's going to say. And Yahweh is not helpless, miraculously providing for her. With a bounty on his head, no less, would anyone would anyone give him shelter? When we get to 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah does now dispatch back to Ahab, he goes to the prophet, to the godly man, Obed, and he says, tell your master, Elijah is here. And if that were put in cinema, that would be one of those parts of the movie that you really enjoy. Elijah is here. And he's like, man, I love that little verse. Anyway, in that 18th chapter we read and as Yahweh your God lives there is no nation this is Obed telling Elijah that the king has everybody looking for you to kill you so this is where we get this from and as Yahweh your God lives there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you and when they said he is not here He took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. So Ahab was so serious about this. He says, well, if he's not here, this is what's going to happen. He was very serious. My point is, with word out like this to kill him, and he would have known this, who would take him in after the brook dries up? Uh, This is how I would think. My brook is dried up. Where can I go? I can't live on my own. People are out to kill me where can I go? Well, God says, go to Zarephath. Jesus remembered her. He remembers her at this time when he sends the prophet to rescue her, but he remembers her when he walked and ministered in Jerusalem, Luke chapter 4. He said, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. All of those things irked the Pharisees. She was a foreigner. She was a woman. She couldn't take care of herself. And Jesus said, God had to go outside of Israel to find somebody that would take care of Elijah. Don't go around boasting about how self-righteous you think you are. anyway. He's continuing here in verse 9. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. She didn't know this. (laughs) She did not know she was commanded. Uh, This is amazing to me. Because in my life, there are times where I don't know what God's doing, and and I need to know what he's doing, and he does it. And it's sort of like, hmm, I landed on my feet. I thought I was going to land on my head. And somehow, it worked out. So from needing, again, to be fed by ravens, He is dispatched to feed those in these. And he doesn't even know what's going to happen yet. She did not know her name came up before the throne of God. Neither did the the prophet until God. And and she doesn't know the prophet's going to be sent there. And and we'll live with her for not in the same facility. Uh, He'll be there. Living in the upstairs apartment in those days that had an external entrance exit. And he's going to take the child up that way. And that kept the appearance of evil away. Anyway, she didn't know she had an opportunity to serve. How many Christians, how many churchgoers have opportunity to serve God? Their name has come up to serve God, and they don't. And the years tick by, and they just never serve. Am I ready for this? For God to avail himself of my usefulness? Even if it's a drought in my life, even if things are really bad in my life as they were for her, am I ready for God to use me nonetheless? Or do I need him to take the drought away first? Because this is the picture she gives to us. She's collecting sticks for her death and she's, let's open it. Verse 10, so he arose, went to Zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. I like that he said please. He knows that uh, you know she's not obligated to do this, it's a gesture of kindness he's seeking. And so on his side, he acts on his reassignment. Okay, move from Kirath to Zarephath in gentile territory. And now he's involved in the in the sufferings of the common people. Uh, no ravens bringing food now, and at the widow's house he's made to feel what others are feeling. Because he's going to hear it coming from her voice. Zarephath, like Sidon, like now the northern kingdom, was spiritually scarred, like many places today. We could go to certain areas in the country where we live, and they're just scarred by the spiritually wicked uh, blue cities. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be political, but you can't help. Some, you know, some of it's just right there on the surface. Anyway, these scars, these hideous and cruel rites of Jezebel's religion, her hereditary religion, no less. She was born into this stuff, and she wasn't going anywhere. When she arrives in Israel, she's quick to obey those pagan priests that she admired so much from childhood. And when they told her, you need to put altars here, you need to do this, she was on it. The devil has his dark outreach for souls also. We're not the only ones that are supposed to be looking out for souls. Indeed, a widow was gathering sticks, is what it tells us here. She's a newly a widow. And the way we come, well, at least I do. I don't know how others get to it. He recognized her by her mourning garment, the widow's garment. This was the case with Tamar in Genesis. Genesis 38, verse 14. So she took off her widow's garment, covered herself in a veil, and wrapped herself, And then she went out to deceive uh, Judah. But she was wearing a widow's garment because her husband, of course, died. So that is how he knew she was a widow. When God said, I'm sending you to the widow of Zarephath. Also, we know that she was young because the child she has is small enough for her to carry in her arms and the prophet to carry up steps. So these are how we get an idea that she, you know, could have been a year or two. But it's not like she's been a widow. You, know, you, you, you don't think about those things. You kind of think, well, you know, she's an older woman. And no, she's actually probably pretty young. Anyway, verse 11. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So he asked for some water, and she's going to get it. Now he asked for food. And she says, Boy, you're a greedy one, aren't you? No, she doesn't say that. So she said, verse 12, this is what she does say. As Yahweh, your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She's not being overly dramatic. She's nowhere to get food. The stores, the shelves are empty. She's a Gentile. Showing deference to Yahweh. That's noticeable. She says a handful of flour in a bin. Well, it depends on whose hand is full because God's hand holds the grain fields. You know, he owns a thousand hills and the cattle thereon. There's never a resource problem for God, which becomes a problem for us because we say, God, you could do this. Why aren't you doing this? And looking at continuing in verse 12, and see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in And prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Their last meal, as far as she is concerned. Now, it says a couple of sticks. That's accurate to the Hebrew, two. That number, that Hebrew word is often, is used for the number two. She's using it, you know, in a loose, not a strict sense. You know, I'm, I'm getting a few sticks. Well, she can grip two and break them in half and kindle her fire if she knows what she's doing. These two sticks, Ahab and Jezebel. The two sticks of satanic work amongst the people. Responsible for this very hardship that both of them are enduring and, of course, others. And the day will come when those two sticks, Ahab and Jezebel, will be gathered for judgment. The day will come when the wicked will be gathered for judgment. And this is part of our message that it is avoidable. All Ahab had to do was side with Elijah. That's all he had to do. He does not. Wicked rulers sit in office doing what is good for Satan? Then these are the days again of Elijah. Verse 13. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. Now this is just amazing. This is what God's word is teaching us. Some think it's harsh when the shepherds insist that God be put first. Do you do your devotions? No, i got just so much problems in my life. Have you made your offering oh, I don't have any money? Well, everybody's got two cents. If you don't have it, steal it. No, kidding. <laughs> well, I guess if you're a prosperity teacher, that would be what I Anyway, you just, you know, put God first. Luke 21, verse 4. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. She didn't wait for things to get better. It's not easy. This is not easy. It takes faith. He says, feed the prophet first, then you can take, you know, contrary to women and children first, <laughs> it's the reversal. Prophets coming. <laughs> now, this wouldn't work on the Titanic. You wouldn't say, sorry, prophets first. Excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> That's not what's going on here. She doesn't know he's a prophet yet. He's just a stranger passing through. He may have had some indication of a prophet on his garment, but I no indication of that, though, for us. Anyway, she doesn't know that he's going to take care of her. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is what we're seeing because she does this. She doesn't protest. We see that Matthew 6.33 in action on her part. She is a heroine in the story also. Hebrews 13.2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, that's a reference to Abraham directly, but indirectly it includes Elijah. She doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know where he's been, who she is in relation to God. Anyway, this is always the platform that God starts off with, what he demands. He demands that he be honored first and will not settle for second place. Now, you have to use wisdom here because some will abuse this good God first, and they're really up to no good, and they're really not using any brains. They're just wicked. But Elijah's challenge to the widow we call for her to employ faith in the midst of her desperate situation. And that's what stands out. He is challenging a mother's God-given instincts to keep God first and her and her son second. He is challenging her to do that. Now, you can say, yeah, well, she could have said, well, what's a few more minutes of hunger? It's going to take her a little time to get everything going. She's got to wait and serve him first, and he's a stranger. I think it's a pretty high demand. But I also think God purposely has left this little tidbit in the story because it is not little. It is big.
1: Thanks for joining us for today's teaching on Cross Reference Radio. This is the daily radio ministry of Pastor Rick Gaston of Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville in Virginia. We trust that what you've heard today in the book of First Kings has had a lasting imprint on your life. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from this series or share it with someone you know, please visit crossreferenceradio.com. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast too so you'll never miss another edition. Just visit crossreferenceradio.com and follow the links under radio. Again, that's crossreferenceradio.com. Our time with you today is about up, but we hope you'll tune in next time to continue studying the Word of God. Join us again as Pastor Rick covers more in the book of 1 Kings on Cross Reference Radio.